Amen. Thank you, Jesus, for this morning. Um, we thank you for your love for us. You are the greatest, <laughs> which is a vast understatement, but only you have the power to make dead men live and dead women live. And Lord, you've done that, and that's represented all over this room. And we pray that in the greatness of your might that you would do it again this morning, even as we talk um, and look at your glory from your word. And we pray, Lord, for those that are here that are in Christ and are united to him. We pray, Father, that you would mightily strengthen our hearts and give us wisdom and understanding from your Holy Spirit and from your word to be able to grasp the mystery of our union with Christ. Um, we love you. We thank you for all that you have done, all that you are doing, and all that you will do to glorify your name in our lives and to work for our joy. We thank you that you've called us to so great a salvation. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Good morning, good to see you guys. Jesus is alive this morning, just like he was alive on Easter, right? And every day, he's risen, and he's at work. We're going to talk about him this morning. You got your Bibles, go to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, um, as Mark said in the opening, um, we are finishing up kind of a section here, but it's not really finishing up, it's, it's a transition into, into chapter 6, but we have been talking for several weeks about the corresponding relationship between Adam and Christ. Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Um, we took a break from that last week for Easter Sunday, and we're in John 21, but we're going to finish up this section today. But it is of the utmost importance uh, for understanding everything else that comes uh, in the rest of the book of Romans. But this morning, primarily, we're going to be looking at verses 17 through 21 of John chapter 5. So again, please be there. We'll also probably bleed into chapter 6 a little bit. But let me read it, and then we'll get into it. Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 17. It says, For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now, the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased... Grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Would you just pray with me one more time? Father, help and open the eyes of our heart that we could see wonderful things from your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Uh, several years ago, uh, myself and some other people um, there was quite a few of us, I don't remember exactly how many, but we had rented a 15-passenger van, so it was like 10, 12 of us probably. We're heading down to a medical missions conference at a very large church in Louisville, Kentucky, which is really weird because I am the farthest thing from any sort of medical professional that you could ever 
possibly imagine, um, as were most of the other people in the van. Uh, I think there was like one, one nurse among us, and yet we were uh, going down there because they were talking about missions, but it was primarily for like nurses and doctors and such and people that wanted to serve on the field. And as we were going down there, uh, for those of you that are somewhat familiar with this route, and now all of a sudden in my mind, I'm not sure exactly which one this is, but I'm pretty sure as you head down out of Cincinnati, 71, Interstate 71 and 75 run together. Is that correct? For those of you that might know, I, th- I believe so. And then 75 and 71 split, and 75 heads towards Lexington, I believe, and 71 goes on towards Louisville. Anybody? with Okay, Ross is not his head. I appreciate that, buddy. Otherwise, I'm not sure. But just go with it, because uh, if I don't know, apparently you don't know either. Um, but they, they run together, and then they split, and we wanted to get to Louisville, which is, we need to be on 71, but we ended up taking 75, and so we were heading towards Lexington. Now, both are cities, both cities are in Kentucky, both cities start with an L, but one is not a substitute for the other, right? You will end up in two, in two very different, different places. And as I said briefly before I read the passage, there is a transition happening here in the book of Romans, and the two run together, but they also kind of split, and it's so important that we understand it. In fact, if I, I don't want to overstate this or be overly dramatic, but if I had to sum up my burden for Mercy Hill Church and our a large part of our calling and our purpose, and for me personally, you don't have to have the same burden or, or, same, or same emphasis, but for me personally, this, this idea that we're going to be talking about this morning and over the next several weeks as we get into chapter 6 is the heart of every reason why at the beginning of Mercy Hill Church, at least for me, that I wanted to plant a church in this area. Now one is, I grew up here and this is where we were. The second, right along with it, is I felt God calling us to do it and for me to play a part in it and to do that. But I am convinced, and I'm not saying this to somebody else, I'm saying I grew up here my whole life. When, and I grew up in church, like many of you. And I know, like, I'm telling you guys, we don't understand this. We get this transition wrong and we end up in some place that we don't want to be. Namely, we end up in a place in our Christian life where we're just playing church, where it's, it's just American, lukewarm, churchianity, where it's just about a bunch of rules and not relationship, where it's just about a bunch of do's and don'ts rather than passionate worship of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. It's about being Christian in name, but not in heart, it's about, it's about being Christian on Sunday mornings, but not Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and every moment of those days, is because at some point, we get off the wrong exit. And I would argue that we get off an exit that, that takes us back to an old way of living, an old way of living described in Romans chapter 5 as life in Adam. In what we once were, 
And that at one, one level, while we are justified by faith, it's like we're just kind of now, okay, I know that's good, and I guess I prayed a prayer, and so Jesus saved me, but now I'm just kind of waiting for glory. And in the in, the in between, I'm just going to go back to living my old life the way I was, just kind of in my own efforts and in my own strength, because we do not understand the miracle of our union with Christ. Is that our salvation is so much more robust and full and multifaceted than anything that we could ever possibly imagine. And I am burdened for us that now, and as we've been going through the book of Romans, like I've been waiting to get to this spot. In fact, I need to take a break. When I preach several weeks in a row, I eventually kind of fizzle out towards the end. But I am like, I'm frustrated that I'm not on to to preach in two weeks. Um, I'm gonna let it go. Jonas is gonna do a great job. Not because I think I can do better, but because I just want to sit in this passage forever. Because we've got to get this, is that God has called us and he he saved us and united us to his son and we are in Christ and if you have believed in Jesus, eternal life does not just start someday, it starts right now, right now. That the eternal God who, who set all the stars in the heavens and called each one by name, mystery upon mysteries, you are in him and he is in you. This is amazing. This isn't just about self-help, life improvement, and just self-discipline and trying to be something with our best white-knuckled effort. It is about abiding in and having a relationship with the living God. And please hear me. I'm not, give me some grace for what the way I've just described. It's not that I think I got it and everybody else doesn't. But I know this. I know that I talk with many people that miss it. And I know that for many years of my life, I missed it. And I don't want us to miss it. Are you with me? I don't want us to miss it. Just by way of kind of review, <clears throat> as we get in to the verses that I read earlier, again in this section, Paul um, zooms out, puts on the wide-angle lens, and is looking, contrasting, and comparing Adam and Christ. Um, a brief summary from the Cornerstone Bible Commentary sums it up well, just to get us going. It says the contrast between the two men is striking. It says Adam's sin brings us death and condemnation by God, but Christ's righteousness brings us life and a warm welcome by God. Adam's wrongdoing puts us under the judgment of God. Christ's sacrifice brings us into the grace of God. Adam's disobedience dooms us, but Christ's obedience saves us. And the good news is that the freeing power of the latter is greater than the enslaving power of the former is that it's all about moving by faith from Adam to being in Christ. Now, there's a lot of repetition in these verses, from verses 12 to 21. And we've primarily been in verses 12 uh, through 17 over the last couple weeks. Um, There are a few things in in these verses, verses 17 through 21, that we're looking at today that are, are slightly different, yet there's still some, some repetition. And there's kind of three, three ideas or three streams of thought that I want to look at in these together to help us hopefully understand our union with Christ and make sure that we get on the right exit and go forward in the gospel. 
um, as Paul intends for us and as God intends for us. Um, And these three ideas are this that I want to look at. Number one, this idea of rival reigns. Secondly, the role of the law. And third, our radical union with Christ. Rival reigns, the role of the law, and our radical union with Christ. First of all, rival reigns. What do, I, what do I mean by this? Look at verse 17, okay? He says, For if because of one man's trespass, trespass sorry, death reigned, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and of the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Now this word reign was also used earlier back in verse 14 which I didn't read this morning, it says, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. You will see the verse again in, or I'm sorry, the word again in verse 21. In verse 21 it says, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So there are these two reigns. There, on the one hand, is the reign of Adam and of sin and of death. Okay? And on the other hand, you have the reign of Christ, of grace, and of righteousness, and of life. These are two reigns. We are all born into this reign. And, it's, and here's the thing about the reign of Adam. Adam really wasn't reigning. God created Adam to reign. He had dominion over everything that he had given him, but Adam's authority was usurped when he decided to disobey God and give in to the devil's temptation in the garden. And so from there on, death and sin were reigning. They had usurped Adam, and Adam was now, like the rest of us, he was a slave to sin. Death and sin, again, they are, they're kind of like personified here, Um, in this passage, and they were the ones that were reigning. And all of us also, because we were born into Adam, we have the reign of sin and death in our lives. And and right now you might be thinking, no, Eric, you're wrong. Adam just thinks, but I'm I'm an independent person. I'm an independent thinker. I'm my own person. Oh, how we value above all else in our, our culture, it seems, our independence and our individuality that nobody is like us. And while that is true on one level, every human being is created in the image of God, there are no two the same. On the other hand, that's not fully true in the way that we usually speak of it and the way that the world speaks of it and means it. It's because we are all dead in Adam, and while we think that we are in control of our lives and that we are reigning, we are not. Sin and death are reigning. And this reign of death, one of the things we haven't talked about fully yet as we've gotten into this, is this idea of death reigning in a far more robust way than what we initially think of. Now, we've talked about this before as as a church. We talked about it, I think, several times over the summer when we were doing our doctrinal series. But this idea that death in the Bible in no way means just ceasing to exist, right? Death does not mean ceasing to exist. The idea of death is that of separation, is that When we die, our body is separated from our soul. If we die in Christ, we go to be united with him to a a resurrection life and to be made whole. But if we die apart from Christ, we are separated forever in a place of punishment and torment. Again, death does not mean ceasing to exist. It means separation. The main thing that I'm sure Paul has in mind here, as most of us do when we speak of death, is we're thinking about physical death. 
And that's true. It's absolutely true. There's going to be a day when every single one of us dies. And then we will go forward to a resurrection of the dead into the lake of fire or the resurrection into eternal life with Jesus the Son. But death is far more robust than just physical death. If you go back to the garden and Adam and, 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 Adam and Eve and what happened there, in fact, the, the physical death, um, while very dominant, and again, we've touched on this as you read through the book of Genesis, um, it's so-and-so begot so-and-so, and they died. And so-and-so begot so-and-so, and they died. And so-and-so had so-and-so, and they died. And yes, death is reigning in the sense of physical death, but there's two other types of death that also happen, and that is there was spiritual death and there was relational death. Is that we are created in the image of God to have relationship with him. We are bodies, but we're not just bodies. We're body, soul, and spirit. But at the moment that Adam and Eve sinned, all of a sudden there was separation from God, where once they had walked with him and were created to walk in unity and in relationship with him, now there was separation there with God who is spirit, the Bible says. Because they had died spiritually. And so they go and they hide from them. Not only was there spiritual death, there was also relational death. In that Adam and Eve themselves, there is now contention. And where once they were naked and unashamed, now they're covering themselves in their shame, in the shame of their sinfulness. And so there's, there's this death that's happening on more levels than just physically dying and having our soul separated from our body. There is spiritual death as well as relational death. And I think Paul, while he definitely has physical death in mind here, first and foremost, but I think he also has these other two aspects of death in mind as well. And here's the thing, brothers and sisters, do we not see this everywhere in our world? Wherever there is sin, there is death. Wherever there is death, there is sin. They reign together. Because of the condemnation that was brought about in Adam. We see it in families. We see it in our individual lives. Where even just take the sin of lying, for instance. Why do we lie? Maybe we lie to try to deceive, to get something that we want. But then we have to lie to cover that lie. And so we pretend to be something that we're not. And all of a sudden, there's a separation between who we really are, what we really want, what we really desire, and what we want other people to think. There's a separation there. There's relational death. The same thing happens in our relationship with God. There's spiritual death, and we want to stay distant from him. Because again, sin happens, and sin and death, they, they reign together. But the good news is that Jesus Christ and what he did has brought answers for all of it. Every bit of it. Not just where we will spend eternity. But here's the thing I want us to get, and again, as I'm talking about this, this transition or getting on the, the right exit as we go forward, I'll go back to something that I said, I think maybe week two or three, when we were early on in the book of Romans. I said this, is that, the gospel is not just how you start the Christian life. It is how you live the Christian life. And so many of us get on the on-ramp and we start the Christian life, but then we very quickly take the wrong exit and go back to how we were living before. Not by faith in the grace and mercy that is found in Jesus Christ, but we go back to living in our own strength and thinking that it's all about our performance 
in making things happen, but that's not the way that it works. So, I've put together a nice little chart for you. It may be more confusing. Um, hopefully it's not. I don't want to confuse you. I want it to be helpful. Um, one of the challenges in preaching, uh, again, God, in the end, takes care of it. We just, I try to be as clear as I can, although imperfectly, and uh, let everything else in the hands of the Holy Spirit, who's very capable. Um, but one of the things about preaching that is challenging when you keep it in mind is that we, we have a very wide swath of age ranges, and not just age ranges physically, but just people who have walked with Jesus a lot longer, and some who haven't, and that's okay. There's some who have just recently gotten saved in the last year. Um, we're going to be baptizing 13 people next week, which is awesome. If you'd like to get baptized as well, there's still time to do that. You can talk to me after, this, after the service today. Um, but you've got people that have just gotten saved in the last year. Some that are young, you've got people that have been saved for a long time. And I say all that because some of these terms that I'm about to throw up on the screen, um, they may be familiar to some. They may not be familiar to others. Uh, one of the ways that we grow is that we begin to wrestle with these terms and, and, and then define them and understand and try to understand the truth of what God is talking about so that it gives us a grid for understanding reality. So that we don't just have to say that we're saved and then kind of muscle through this life and hang on for dear life just hoping that we'll get to glory when we die. But that we can live a spirit-filled life in the power of Christ in us and us in him. Um, that yes, is, is still imperfect and, and we're still growing in, but is filled with joy and with purpose and with passion and with the mission that he's given us that he has given us uh, to fulfill. So let me. T this chart is going to be talking about humanity's problem that we have in Adam, okay, and two aspects of it, and then we'll get to eventually God's answer uh, for both these problems through Christ. Now, there, again, there are two aspects here to our fallenness, or two aspects to our sin. First of all is condemnation, but along with it is corruption. Condemnation and corruption. Condemnation is what we've primarily been talking about in this passage, okay? And the thing with condemnation is it is legal. It is a declaration. It is legal and it is an external declaration. And Conrad, I'm on the third one already if you haven't, uh, if you can't tell. But condemnation is legal and it's an external declaration that we are guilty. And when Adam sinned, we've talked about this in weeks past, when Adam sinned, Immediately, the entire human race being held up in his DNA, so to speak, is we were immediately condemned because of Adam's sin. God counted us legally, declared us legally guilty because of Adam's sin. However, that's not all that happened. Not only was there condemnation, but there was also corruption. Where condemnation is legal, and it is a declaration that we are guilty, our corruption is moral and practical. In other words, you don't sin and then become a sinner. You are a sinner and therefore you sin. Do you understand? The nature of our sin runs deep and it happened at Adam's sin. When he sinned, we were both condemned legally, but we also became corrupted. Every ounce of our being. It doesn't mean that we are all as sinful as we absolutely could be. In other words, we're not all mass murderers or th things that we think of as really bad. But every ounce of who we are has been tainted in some way by sin. And so every ounce of who we are must be redeemed by Christ. 
And again, we'll get to it in just a second. Christ has the answer for all these things. Where condemnation is an ex- external declaration of guilt, um, our corruption, or and again, another word here for corruption might be just depravity, but it didn't start with a C, and I like alliteration, so we went with corruption. Um, but where condemnation is an external declaration of guilt, our corruption is speaking of an internal desire for sin. See, that, that on some level, the reason you sin, the reason I sin, is because we love it. It's because we love it. Where does that come from? It comes from the corrupt, depraved nature that is within us. That happened when Adam sinned, but we also all carry, all carry this out. We are sinners by both nature and choice. There is none righteous, no, not one. Again, this condemnation happened instantaneous when Adam sinned. The corrupt nature, I, I would say, was planted in us in seed form and then at that moment too. But it, then stead, it is steadily digressing since Adam's sin. This is why, again, one of the things that gets missed a lot of times in the judgment of the flood back in Genesis chapter 6 in Noah's day is that not only was it the flood, but you also know that after that, part of the judgment was before the flood, people were living to like, I mean, Adam lived to like 900 years old, right? After the flood, no more. 120 120 years will be their span, and even that is like a high water mark where they used to live for hundreds of years before. Why? Because they just increasingly digressed into more and more and more wickedness all the time. And so that's another part of the judgment that God brought. Not only did he wipe everybody out and and kind of start over with Noah's family, but again, that condemnation and corruption was still in Noah as well. Um, But another part of it was he was not going to let man live for hundreds of years as he did before because man only digressed in his relationship with God and in doing evil to one another. So is everybody with me so far? Okay. These are two aspects of our sin nature, of our sinfulness, I should say. Both condemnation and corruption. One is legal, the other is moral and practical. External, internal. Both happened when Adam sinned, but the one continues to to digress. But God has an answer through Jesus. Amen? Has an answer through Jesus. And again, what we've primarily hit on up to this point in the book of Romans, this is why I'm stressing this, we've primarily talked about just justification. You can throw that one up there, Connor. Just justification. But there is another aspect to our salvation, and that is sanctification. That justification, just like condemnation in Adam, a justification in Christ, it is legal. It is a legal word. Where our condemnation, we were declared guilty, our justification means that it is an external declaration of righteousness. When we believe in Jesus, it is a declaration by the righteous judge, the same one who condemned all men in Adam because Adam sinned. In the same way, he declares us righteous in Christ simply through faith. Nothing that we do. Only through faith. But again, that happens in an instant. It's instantaneous. It happens the moment that we believe in Jesus. And that's good. We now have right standing in him. However, we still have this corrupt 
moral nature inside of us. And so we need an answer for that as well. Not just the legal positional side of it, but the practical moral side. What is, what is God's answer through Jesus? It is that he now places his Holy Spirit within us. Look back with me again where we've been. I know we've, it's been weeks since we've been here, but again, this is all in, in, in Paul's flow of thought through the book of Romans. Go back to Romans 5, verse 5. It says, And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out, where? Into our hearts. Through who? The Holy Spirit, who he has given us. So one of the things that happened at our salvation is, yes, we are declared, externally justified, not guilty. But something else has also happened. The Holy Spirit has now come into us. And he wants to help us in this process of sanctification. Sanctification means to be set apart. It's very synonymous, uh, pretty much synonymous with the word holy, the idea of being set apart. But what we're, we're talking about is that in justification, we are set apart positionally. In sanctification, God wants to set us apart practically. He wants our lives to reflect his holiness. Okay? Um, Peter says it about as cut and dry as anybody does in his uh, epistle. He says, he, he, he says, you shall be holy, says God, for I am holy. Because God is holy, he wants his people to live holy lives. This is done not in our own strength. It is done through the power of the Holy Spirit. Where once in our corruption, we had an internal desire for evil, for sin, now, part of our salvation, and this is so important, is there has been placed in you new life, resurrection life. It is the Holy Spirit inside of you. And if you've been truly born again, you now have inside of you an internal desire for righteousness. Jump ahead to Romans chapter 6. Verse 17, again, this is all in the argument here. I know I'm skipping, we'll, we'll get to this eventually, but I just want to show you where Paul was going in this transition from talking about our positional justification to our practical sanctification. Romans 6, verse 17 says, But thanks be to God. Why are we thanking God? Because God did this. God did this. He says, But thanks be to God that you were once slaves of sin, that though you were once slaves of sin, you have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Is that at salvation, when you believe in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes into you and there is now an internal desire for righteousness that is there. Um, one of my, uh, I don't know if he's here this morning or not. Uh, yeah, I see him. Mark Numbers. There's Mark. I've known Mark for a long time. Mark has no idea what I'm about to say. He's getting nervous. But I don't know why I remember this, but I remember years ago hearing Mark share his testimony. And um, not living for Christ and then the process of God drawing him in. And I remember Mark saying this. It's just always stuck with me. He said, I just remember all of a sudden I couldn't get enough of Moody Radio. And 
what we, again, he was trying to describe what was happening inside him. I don't even think he was fully sure. But what had happened? God had saved him. And where once, Mark would not have had a desire to listen to Moody Radio, now there was an internal desire for more, more of it. Why? Because he's been justified, and all those who are justified, God also goes to work in your life through the power of his Holy Spirit in you to sanctify you. And that starts with holy desires. It starts with loving things that we once did not love. Why in the world do we stand and do we sing and do we raise our hands and do we worship Jesus? Why? Because something has happened in us. New life has been placed in us. But again, the thing I want you to get, guys, it's not you, it's not me, it's not us. It is part of our salvation. That the Holy Spirit has come into our life And just like there were seeds of corruption in Adam and so in us, there's now a seed of righteousness that is in us, placed into us, as as Peter says, by the imperishable word, this imperishable seed that is now in us, pulling us to live holy lives. Um, In the same way that sin steadily digresses in Adam, in the same way by God's grace and the power of the Holy Spirit, we are to be steadily in, the sanctification is to be steadily increasing in the believer's life. And I want to stop, and I, again, I got my little chart here, but there's gaps that need to be filled in. Let me fill in there a little bit by saying this, that as we're steadily increasing in sanctification, what I don't mean is that it's just constantly up and to the left, or up, sorry, up and to the right for you is that the, 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 our life of sanctification and growing in Christ-likeness, and again, when I say sanctification, what do I mean? I just mean growing in Christ-likeness would be another way to say it. It's not just constantly up and to the left, but here's the thing. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And if you've trusted in Christ, this process of being molded and shaped into the image of Christ God's got it. He's got it. Maybe I didn't explain that well because somebody should just shout hallelujah. Guys, he's got it. The most powerful being in all the universe lives inside of you to make you like Jesus. I'd say we've got a shot. Amen? Are we ever going to be Morally, practically, perfect in this life. No. That's going to come in glory. That's glorification, which isn't on the chart here. And that happens when we do die. Where death once was a penalty for sin, death is now the entranceway into our victory that Christ secured for us. But until then, the Holy Spirit is at work in us to mold us and to shape us into the image of Christ. Um, We ran out of room kind of on the, on, on the chart there, but here's another big thing that people get wrong. And if I could just roll with me here, it's not gonna be up on the screen. But justification, another category I would put, justification is by faith. Sanctification is by faith. You start by trusting Jesus, that he's got this, that he's gonna save you for eternity, that when you die, you're gonna go to heaven to be with Jesus. You know how you become more like him? Every day you trust him. 
Just like it's by faith through, by grace through faith in justification, it's by grace through faith in your sanctification. Both these things are true. On April 18th of 2019, I believe it was, we got little Jordy and we went to the courthouse and he'd been living with us for about six months and we went before a judge and she even had him come up there and she signed some things on this document and he had, she, she had him sign his little name to the document and he legally, he legally became my son. Legally, the one with power and authority to make such a decision declared that he is my son. I actually have a birth certificate with his name on it saying that I am his parent, although he once was not. He legally became mine. But now every day, for the last four to five years, I'm trying to teach him what it means to be my son. He's not earning it. He will be my son forever. In fact, one of the things that we've, we've said so many times, uh, not as much lately, but in the first couple years that, that we had him, is we, we told him, you are now in your forever home. You're not going anywhere. You're like, why'd you need to say that? Because he'd been in a lot of homes. But that's done now. And, and do you understand, brothers and sisters, that the thing I, I so want us to get is that our justification happens first, and the order is so important, and it carries with it this sanctification. But if you're trying to sanctify yourself in order to get that sanctification to carry with it a justification, you will live in fear, you will live in worry, you will live in anxiety, you will try to, you will try to stand up for yourself, when God is the one that wants to fight for you? One of the things that came to mind in prayer this morning that I had not thought of till this morning as, as, as we were praying um, is, is we, would, we took Jordy to counseling for a couple years after we got him just to help him understand that he's going to be, be with us forever. And... Um, one of the things the counselor cued us into was times when he was feeling afraid. These little body language things, is even though, and he's, if you guys know him, he, I mean, he's a scrawny little guy. <laughs> um, he's just kind of skin and bones, but, but when he would get afraid, he would, he would just, his body language would change. He would kind of puff his chest up a little bit. And he would try to, because he was going to, and this is what we had to work on. He, he was going to defend himself. He was going to fight for himself. He was going to take care of himself. And one of the things we just did over and over and over again through the play therapy and stuff was, no, 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 no. There's somebody else who's going to fight for you now. It's your mother. It's your father. And I, th this is why I hope this is making sense. Lord, please help me. The, that in your Christian life, so many, so many of us fall into the trap of thinking, we just got to puff up our chest, and we're going to handle it, and we're going to do it. Brothers and sisters, the, the joy of salvation is that there is another who's going to fight for you. 
There's another one who's going to take care of you. Not just, not just when you said a prayer and not just someday when you die, but all the way in between. He's going to take care of you. He's not going to leave you. You have been united to Christ. Nothing can change that. Nothing. Like, well, what's the point of the law? The rules and stuff. I'm glad you asked. Look at verse 20. Go back into verse 19. He says, For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Verse 20. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. What a strange sentence. Wouldn't you think it say, because yeah, we're talking about God's law here, the, the Ten Commandments given on Sinai. The law came in to increase the trespass. Wouldn't you expect it to say the law came in to decrease the trespass? But it doesn't. The law came in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the, all the more. Here's what the role of the law was. The whole role of the law is to make it abundantly, overly, abundantly clear that you cannot keep the law. The whole point of the law is to show that there's no way you could ever keep it. Here's the deal. It's like there is a dark, scary monster living in the dark shadows of our basement. And we hear rumblings down there, and something's happening, and there's growling, and there's scary noises. And we, for years throughout redemptive history no one fully knew what it was go back to Romans chapter 5 look at verses like 12 through 14 there it says that death reigned through sin and so death spread to all men though all sin for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given so before the law was given at Mount Sinai a thousand years later it's people are still dying why? Because the scary monster's in the basement, but no one has identified it. No one fully knows what it was. The point of the law is the law comes in, and it goes down into the basement, and it shines light on it, and it describes it. And the law says, this is what sin is. You shall have no other gods before me. This is what sin is. You shall not make uh, any carved images to try to represent me. This is what sin is. You shall not covet. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not lie. This is what the monster is, but here's the deal. The monster isn't in the basement. The monster's in our heart. That's where the monster lives. And so it's not like we can just go kill the monster out here. The monster's in us. This is the nature of sin. The law came to increase the trespass. In other words, the law came to say, we're in big trouble. We thought we were in trouble. We're in way bigger trouble than that. Because not only is the monster stronger than us, even if it was outside of us, but it's not just outside of us, it's inside of us. What are we going to do? Jesus is going to come. And he's going to defeat the monster and he's going to put his Holy Spirit in its place where it once, where it once lived. Um, that is the role of the law. And so now, the Holy Spirit is in us. We're united with Christ. The law's role was simply to show that it was there, um, and to understand that we could never defeat it, that we have to look for another. 
And again, although I've already mentioned this several times, folks, the, the radical nature of our union with Christ is something that cannot be overstated. Nothing is going to change it. On Friday, uh, we are, I, I didn't, um, I like to think that, I don't know, sometimes I like to act like maybe I plan these things, but I don't. I'm just not smart enough or organized enough for that. But um, since the beginning of the year, the interns and I on Fridays have been going through this book called The Whole Christ. We're now doing another series, video series by Sinclair Ferguson called Union with Christ. And uh, it coincides very much with all that we're talking about here in Romans. And so it's been very helpful. I found it helpful for myself personally by God's grace. I want you to flip with me for just a second over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And one of the things that um, Sinclair Ferguson mentioned in the video on Friday uh, was something that's, that's I, Paul says this to horrify us and to shock us, and yet there's, there's two truths going on here that if, if we get them really changes the way that, that we go forward, not trusting in ourselves, but trusting every day in the power of Christ. Is very briefly, the context of, the, or the way that Paul writes in Corinthians is that he's addressing specific issues in the church in Corinth. So it's different from Romans where he's kind of just teasing out this theological treatise and, and very systematically going through it. It's, there's, there's, it, it, it. There's issues of disunity. He speaks to that, he corrects it, and he applies the gospel to it. Um, there's issues of, of giving and tithing. He speaks to it, he addresses it, he corrects it, and then he applies the gospel to it. One of the things, one of the big issues in Corinth was sexual immorality, okay? And he speaks to it, he corrects it, he doesn't want it to go on, but here's what he doesn't say. He doesn't, and which is what we do. When somebody's living in sin, we just go, Here, here's our great advice, stop it. Stop it. Stop. Now, that, that's part of it. But if you don't understand how the gospel works in our relationship with him and our union with Christ, then all that is is the law. And it's not going to empower us to overcome it. Listen to what Paul says in addressing the specific sin issue of sexual immorality. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Um, I'll start in verse 13. He says, The food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. Listen, the body is not meant for sexual immorality. So there's the, okay, don't do that. But who is it meant for? But for the Lord. The body's not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Now listen to this. Listen to him speaking of our union with Christ and how it applies to nitty-gritty issues of sexual immorality. He says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? You're united to him. And now listen to what he says, and this is the part that should shock you. He says, shall I then take the members of Christ, i.e. the members of my body, and make them members of a prostitute? And then his emphatic reply, never! 
is how he replies. Do you understand what he's saying? And this is the way Sinclair Ferguson said it in the, I'll say it how he said it in the, in the video on Friday. He goes, what he's saying is, when these individuals would enter the brothel, Christ went with them in there. Now hear me. The implication is not, well, he's with me no matter what. No, no, no. The implication is, I'm one with Christ. How could I possibly do this evil thing? How could I possibly walk in this and not have it grieve me? Do you understand? And here's the thing. He's applying that to sexual immorality, to prostitution. Here's what I would say to us, and, and coming back to Romans in the broader um, lens of all that we're talking about. You're united to Christ when you speak that harsh word. Christ is, is, is part of that. That shouldn't be. When you take what's not yours, you've been united to Christ. It's, it's as though you're causing Christ to somehow steal with you. That shouldn't be. We are united to him. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul says in Galatians, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. This life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Brothers and sisters, and here's the thing. All of us, like I said earlier, we will walk imperfectly. This happens, but oh, how it should grieve us, and oh, how we should not grow hard-hearted to the reality of our sin. Are you with me? We have been united to Christ. And he wants to live his life in us and through us. And there is nothing that can separate it. If I, again, I don't, I don't plan well enough for moments like this, but if I had some red Play-Doh and some blue Play-Doh and I mixed them all together, how, how could you separate that? If I had some, what, yellow food coloring and some blue food coloring and I poured them together, that does make green, right? Yellow, okay, yeah, I think so. Anyway, some yellow and some blue, and I poured them together. And how, how, could, you, how could you separate it? You say, Eric, is that, is that, that's what our union is like? No, I'm saying our union with Christ is even stronger. Our union with Christ is even greater. And he wants to live his life through you. And brother, sister, this is these two ultimate realities and worship team, you can come up because I got, I got to be done. But here's what I, under, what I want us to understand. Is that because of your union with Christ, there is no aspect of it. There is not one moment where he is not with you and where he is not living with you in whatever you're doing. The other part of it, of it is because of his grace and because of his mercy. Even when we willfully take the reins and go where he does not want us to go. 
Nothing can break that union. Nothing. You have been united to Christ and it is truer and it is more irreversible than Plato and food coloring could ever be. And for the rest of our lives here on this earth, the demeanor, the attitude, the mindset that he wants for us is to not puff our chest up out of fear or self-will, but to humbly rely upon him. Just like you did at the moment of your salvation, where on some level, in some way, shape, or form, what had to happen in your salvation, although all of our stories are different, on some level what had to happen was you looked away from self and you said, God, I need a savior. I need somebody to change me, somebody to save me, somebody to have mercy on me. That is the same way that you live the Christian life, looking away from self and towards him. Pray with me. Father, thanks for today. Thank you for all that you've done for us. Lord, I pray for a deep awareness of our union with you. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would not let us put our lives just on autopilot where we go back to living on the same path that we once were on in Adam. But that you help us to be consciously aware that in Christ, everything is new. Everything is new. Thank you for all that you've done, and thank you for all that you will do. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Stand with me.